If you have high blood pressure, but you are in a normal BMI, do you not really have high blood pressure? Should we not treat it because you're like not technically like, so I'm, I'm kind of bringing forth the point of like, if a person has a disease that doctors believe is a result of obesity or carrying too much body fat on their body, then we need to treat that, right? But simply being at a BMI of 30 or over is not necessarily an indication of disease. If you don't have high blood pressure at a BMI of 30, we're not going to give you blood pressure medication. That wouldn't make any sense. The big question is this. In a world of fake Instagram models and fad diets, how do real people achieve their fitness goals? We are an army of hardworking women changing their lives through fitness and health. Wherever you are at on your journey, we have the answers to how to make working out and eating well a part of your life. Join us in changing the dialogue for women everywhere. Welcome to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. I'm Kelsey. Hi, guys. I'm Rachel. Welcome back to the show. Kelsey's got power ponies. I do have power ponies. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not sure if uh, I look like a little bit like a crazy person, but I feel that if you feel like a little bit of a crazy person, you should just lean into it. You know what lean I mean? Lean right in. <laughs> lean right in unapologetically. I'm less distracted now that you've shut off your dryer. Because <laughs> that thing. Dude, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is a progression with like dryers and stuff, but like I was at somebody else's house the other day and I felt like their washing machine did like a full song. I was like, is this going to keep going? Like, are we, is it, is there an encore? And then I was like, oh, there it is, the encore. But like for my dryer, like. <laughs> relax. Like relax. Like it's not even wet clothes in there. Like you're dry. We get it. <laughs> We're getting wrinkly in here. Come and get us or we'll wrinkle up and you'll have to dry us again. Oh, is that not what other people do when their clothes are wrinkly in the dryer? Do they not just put it on again? Try it again. That's so what not I do. Not me because my clothes could take a mini vacation in the dryer. Like they, they could stay in there for a significant amount of time. Wow. You have a lot of clothes. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm like waiting for it to finish. No, but then I'm gonna I'm like, purge. I'm gonna purge my clothes. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. I have yeah, this sure thing right. going yeah. on. Okay, so okay, I, yeah. Okay, no, I have a whole reasoning behind it. So you just shut up and listen. <laughs> I've been told this before, guys. That's why I have this attitude. I've been told. I've heard the words. I'm gonna purge with regards to clothes a couple times before. But I also did purge those times because over 10 bags went to the Salvation Army last purge. That just shows you how bad it is. But I don't, we, we're focusing on the positives here. I brought a lot of those without letting you see them. Because I know them. how you are. <laughs> because I know how you are. I'm like this jean jacket from the eighth grade. I know. Yeah, it's it, not, it's not good. No, <laughs> you don't need this, but there might be a time you say, and I say back, you've bought four, you've bought four jean jackets since then. 
Yeah. It's bad because I actually don't really like to rewear things. <laughs> like, especially if, like I take a picture in it, if it's out there, I'm like, I can't wear that again. It seems like I wear it every day. <laughs> <laughs> She's afraid of getting in like the, on page six, like, Kelsey, hell yeah, wore this dress two days in last month. Does Can she even, even know her? <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's my head. But that's I feel, so I moved all these things in. I'm in my brand new place. And I have all of these boxes of stuff that I'm like, I've lived without this for months. Is it necessary? That's a good, that's a really good exercise. If yeah. you've lived without something for months on end and you didn't even notice it was gone, do you need it? Do you need it? And then I also have this, I have this other, because I was like, wow, I could just take this whole thing and put it in a bag and throw it out. So I had two, there was twofold to that. One, I was like, wow, people helped me move this all in here now I feel bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. They didn't have yeah. to move this stuff in here if I'm just going to throw moves it out. As a person that that stuff, yeah. I will say, yes, I will, I will be accepting apologies for that. I will. <laughs> if there are any floating around, <laughs> I will take I've them. moved you several times too, so we, here we are. Yeah, but I didn't bring paper towels. <laughs> <laughs> you don't pack paper towels in a cross country move. That is absurd. <laughs> when you're like, <laughs> you don't pack clothes from the eighth grade. <laughs> you don't pack potatoes. <laughs> you don't pack paper towels. So I want to say this. I've had this realization as I've been kind of wandering around my new place. And I was, I think that I was holding on to these things so tightly because I didn't have anything. They were my only things. Like I didn't have a, a home. So I was holding on to any of the things that belonged to me really, really tightly because they felt like they were my only things. And then as soon as I started being like, well, these could just go, like I was like, wow, that was really easy. You were really holding on to that before. But it's because like I, I actually have a plate, like I have a home. And I didn't have one for like 10 years and like a secure one. I was just kind of like moving around. And so I felt like my things were the only thing that I had that belonged to me. So That's here deep, we are. man. I know. I was, I was like eating fruit last night. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I was like, I think you really hit on something here of like just deep how talk. you feel. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to do something about that dryer because I, <laughs> I personally cannot stand when people want a big round of applause just for doing their job. Like, yeah, yeah. It went off four times. Clothes. Like it was like, dee, 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 whatever. And then I was like, hey, okay, like, I heard you. <laughs> and then like another one, another round is like, we heard you another round. I was like, this is never going to stop. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty overdone for just simply drying the clothes. I'm as an attention whore, but also like, see, you say those things and then you're like, Oh, my my dryer is broken or something. And you're like, my life can't go on. My dryer is broken. So, all right, we'll give her, we'll give her the, what she's due, what she's owed. Mm. Just one clap though. I'm not doing, you just did your job. That's all. Like the dishwasher gets multiple claps. 
<laughs> all you did was <laughs> dishwasher. No, because I mean, in the appliance world, I mean, dishwasher. Rachel obviously feels some type of way about her dishwasher. <laughs> Not a washer. The dishwasher's of the done. You're like, you know what? I feel some type of way about the dishwasher because then, like, finish the job, put the dishes away. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, you have to fold the clothes too. When you haven't completed your job, (laughs) I don't feel so good when the dishwasher goes off because I'm like, whoa, round two. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's for the clothes too, though. Although I didn't feel that good about the one too. I'm like, oh, finish the job. (laughs) I saw saw this thing, and I've been, um, I've been putting it in place, and I think. I think you're going to like it, but it was basically, so I've been doing this for years. I eliminated, um, what are those called? Dressers, like where you keep like clothes and drawers. I eliminated that years ago. That didn't seem like a good system. You can't see the things at the bottom of the pile. Everything, if you take something out from the bottom of the pile, everything gets messed up. And also I don't like bulky furniture. Like I like my rooms to not have bulky furniture. In them. So like Years ago, I got rid of that. But I saw this thing on TikTok or Instagram or something. This lady, she's like, you want to cut down your, if you're finding yourself like leaving all your clothes in baskets and like they stay there for weeks and it's like you're living out of the basket. She's like, try this instead. Just move solely to hangers. When you take the clothes out of the dryer, you just lay them flat instead of like folding them. You lay them flat, go get all your hangers, hang them all up. And then they're like there. And you don't have to fold the clothes and then put them away. You just put them all on hangers and then throw them all up there. I really like this. I really like this suggestion. I mean, you can find a lot of great house hacks on TikTok. Like they're, they're killing it over there. The ladies are killing it over there on house hacks for TikTok. But it really does make sense because I could put like multiple leggings on a single hanger. That's what I'm saying. It's better for storage. Plus you can see them all too because like they have those hangers that are like the like tiered ones. So you can see all the clothes. Like I I don't know. I I even moved my son. My son only has, he has no dresser. He only has all his outfits. I I like put the outfits together because I'm psychotic. Um, No, because it actually saves us a lot of time in the morning. It's like put the outfits together on an outfit hanger. And that's like, he just goes and grabs the hanger. Will you avoid a six-year-old trying to match up an outfit? Well, I mean, whatever he came out with, I'm sure would have been rejected by me anyways, (laughs) even if it did match, but because I have my things. I'm working on them. (laughs) Don't we all? (laughs) But I wanted to say that obviously this is going to be hard to do. You have a brand new house, but like... Don't get too deep into those (laughs) house uh, because it will start making you feel like if you don't have every Q-tip like lined up in a row in an organizer, like you're failing at life. I've noticed this. If I get a little too deep in those algorithms, I'm like, oh my God, look at my vitamin draw. What a disaster I am. It's not even color coded. I hate myself. (laughs) And so people, some people are really doing big things and that doesn't mean that that's how to do it. But I was just, that was just a it doesn't time mean saving. that has to be your journey. Mm-mm. You could focus that in different places. Like however you want to, because it's a pizza. It's not like an unlimited, you can't just, you can't have an unbelievable. All your Q-tips in a row. Yeah. You can't have a color coordinated spice cabinet and also like get in like all the things you want to do. So it's like, you know, we we just take and we give and 
all of that. On that note, I had a question that was in my DMs that I wanted to answer before we hit up the topic of this episode, because I felt like this question is a super common one. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not sure that we have necessarily like hit this specifically. I think we've like roundabout gone through an answer. Well, it's a, it's a complex answer. So I think that we've hit it in several different episodes, but how she phrased the question is perfect because she hit the question. A lot of women are, are asking. It's so true. So I'm going to leave her anonymous, but she said, my husband and I recently started focusing more on our health and food intake, and I'm extremely frustrated with his progress compared to mine. He's made far less changes and is not nearly as strict, and he has also missed several workouts. I have been near perfect, yet he's lost way more weight. I talked to a girlfriend about this, and she said it's a well-known thing, happens to everyone and their spouse when they start a thing. Is there an actual scientific reason as to why men lose weight faster or easier, or is this just all in our heads? I love, we'll leave you anonymous, but I love how you phrased that because note the little gaslighting happening there with the, is this in my head? And even though you're sitting there and you're seeing, you know, what's going on, I'm assuming you live with your husband. So (laughs) you know his food intake, his workouts, you know what you're doing, and you have a pretty accurate view of what's happening for both of you and your health and fitness journeys. It is absolutely not in your head. And there is a ton of science behind this. This is a form of frustration for a lot of women. And you hear it in different ways. I think you hit it perfectly, but I think you hear it in different ways where women often say about their husbands, like he can eat whatever he wants and he still looks like this. Or he can, uh, I would gain weight by looking at that. He has the whole thing and he looks just fine. And number one, there is a, a very generalized idea of, looking at someone and judging their health. There is also the, I do want to hit the comparison is the thief of joy too. <laughs> I, we're definitely going to get into the science behind this, but like I do want to hit the comparison is the thief of joy because comparing your health and fitness journey to your husband's or any other person on the planet who doesn't live in your body is craziness because even if you guys continue to eat, if you eat the same thing, did the same workouts, your body would respond differently. Even if your husband was a woman, Now, there's a ton of science between the fact that he is a man and the muscle mass and hormones that go into that, which we're going to touch on. But another person in a a different body with a different metabolism, having different hormones, even if it was another woman, would still look different. Their health and fitness journey would still look different than yours. So I just want to hit on that too. Definitely always comparisons, the thief of joy that goes for everyone. But uh, just because you married someone doesn't mean you start sharing genetics. You know what I mean? So I just, yeah, I just want to like, sometimes people feel so close to somebody that they're like, we're literally doing all the same things. And it's like, yeah, but like, you're not sharing genetics, even though you're sharing just about everything else. So I do want to say that I hear this frustration and it's very duly noted, but that there are 
reasons for this. And basically, I'm just going to put them into two categories just for simplification process. Number one is likely your husband is carrying significantly more muscle mass than you are. Naturally. Naturally. So (laughs) how that plays into weight loss is simply that muscles consume calories. They consume excess calories. So they're hungry. And especially if you're going to introduce exercise, they get very hungry because they are tearing and repairing. And what is going to happen is his inherently more muscle mass is going to be able to use up more extra calories than the muscle mass that you're carrying on your body likely, which is why, and this is for a number of reasons. First of all, just biologically, men carry more muscle. Secondly, as young boys, they are pushed and promoted to build muscle mass. So they get started at a young, a younger age. Typically, they're encouraged to lift heavier, whereas women often do not find weights until well after college and even then are not encouraged to lift heavy. So they're like, there's so many like societal things going on here with the muscle mass. That's like taboo with the fact that he comes born with more than you. And not only is born with more, but like, here's the thing, like he is able to attain more muscle mass quicker than you are. Exactly. When we're talking about some, I'm, I'm assuming this would be like a woman. I don't, I'm not going to say, but, um, I think that this is a woman near or perimetopausal age. And so we've talked about that in an episode, how much more difficult it is to maintain and gain muscle in that stage of your life. And that's due to the next category of stuff we're going to talk about, which is hormones. Men have they basically wake up in the same body from the time of puberty uh, to their death. (laughs) Like it's like they have very little changes hormonally when it comes like comparatively when it comes to women, women's hormones are in, you know, and if you haven't listened to like our hormone experts on this, you will love those episodes. But basically at any time in the month, you are going to wake up in a, in a different body, basically hormonally and men are waking up in the same body. So hormones control things like cravings, metabolism, the kinds of ways that you use the calories that are coming into your body. It's so important to understand that difference is going to control how and how much weight loss you're able to accomplish in a certain amount of time. So like it may look like he's like out the gates really quick and that's frustrating, but in a long game scenario, I guarantee you that those things are going to eventually equal out if you are on a road to continuously gaining, being committed to gaining more muscle and also just sort of maximizing the hormones the best way you can with regards to like not under eating, making sure that you are not starving your metabolism. And that's really like the, I mean, it's a, it's a complex answer, but those are the two things that I think that people can make actionable changes on the most. Whereas the other things it's kind of like, Hey, listen, we're just all, we're different than men. We're, we're made different. 
I want to clarify one thing when it comes to men's hormones versus women's hormones. We're talking day to day. Your hormone changes from day to day on a monthly cycle are so different than a man's changes on a day to day monthly cycle. Obviously, as men get older, their hormones change as well. But on a day-to-day basis, so you're looking at starting, you know, a weight loss journey or a health and fitness journey, and you're looking at the course of a couple months and you're waking up in a different body uh, every day (laughs) Um, during those months. And he's waking up in the same one. And the thing that I wanted to touch on when it comes to the, you mentioned he's missed several workouts and um, where you haven't, and that you've been near perfect with nutrition or I think you said nutrition, but food in, but it was mostly food intake. And I just wanted to, I might be reading too much into that, but I wanted to touch on that a little bit because when we're thinking about food intake and making changes, when you're talking about in the gym, if your food intake and you're judging that as being taking in less calories and he's not right, he's taking in more calories than you, probably more protein and all of the other things that are attributing to muscle growth and recovery in the gym, we need to re, re revamp how we look at food intake and nutrition when it comes to making healthy lifestyle changes and eating less is not going to help you increase your metabolic rate and um, put on more muscle mass, which is also going to increase your metabolic rate and have those body comp changes when it looks at Are you getting the nutrients you need? Because my guess is that when you decided to look at your food intake and look at your nutrition, nutritional needs, you decided to lower your calories and you didn't decide to increase your protein and lift heavier. So (laughs) if there is something you want to change from that and you want to look at from there, it would be like, what are your workouts? What are you doing in the gym? knowing that increasing your muscle mass will increase your metabolic rate, will allow you to burn fat faster overall. So what are you, what are you intaking? What are your nutritional needs being met? Not lower, lowering your calories and how heavy are you lifting? Yeah, it's so true. I'm, I'm glad you said that because again, that might be reading too much into it, but if we're just taking this from like a standpoint of most people, what most people consider to be like focusing on their food intake would be lowering calories. And if you're near perfect in your workouts and you're lowering your calories, we may not be recovering and building muscle at the proper rate. You might be holding yourself back from you know, your own progress. Yeah. So that was in my DMs. I, if you guys have any burning questions that you need answered, we love to answer them. We love to answer them because I just think like, if you have the question, you know, so many people are wanting to also ask it. So, and it also ties in very nicely, I think to our topic today, which is something I don't think we can continue to ignore. I think that sometimes when we have brought it up, we thought like, eh, we're not sure if we're going to give this any press. If you say the thing out loud, it's like becomes real. <laughs> but we're going to talk today about the newest weight loss drug, which is running rampant in Hollywood right now. I think so rampant that, that there is, it's become like a household name people, you know, regular people, not meaning not Hollywood stars are talking about it. 
it always hits the like the stars first, right? And then and then it like and then it comes to the rest of us. <laughs> and then it starts to kind of take off whereas like they've been kind of utilizing some of these things for a bit of time. But yeah, it's definitely hit mainstream everyday people to the point where when Rachel brought this up, I was like, huh? And then I realized that there had been several things in my DMs pushing this drug for me to tell other people to push this drug to say that I used it. So it's one of those things that is definitely caught fire in a way that there's a lot of people benefiting from that. And we just want to put it out there. So you know what's going on. Yeah, it's just more, more knowledge is more power. And we're just going to talk about it in the most unbiased way that we possibly can, because it is a scientific breakthrough for um, a, a certain percentage of people. So we are talking about Ozempic today. I think that the best way to go about this is to just like get yourself educated on what it is, what it does, how does it work? And then we can kind of deep dive into, is this the answer for weight loss? Is this a safe way to go about it? Is this healthy? Is this um, a lasting thing? Those are the ringers that I put something through before I call it good for health and fitness. First of all, like, is it actually healthy? <laughs> um, can it be used long-term? And, you know, what are the potential side effects, both mentally and physically, to using something like this? So um, if you have not heard of Ozempic, it, you may have heard of it in its other, its generic name is um, semiglutide. It's also, there's another one that's called Wegovi. That's the one that is more specifically um, targeted toward weight loss. But the one that all the sort of that's the Hollywood one is Ozempic. So that's probably the one people will recognize the most. Originally, this medication was developed for type 2 diabetes. And as of right now, it is only approved for treatment in type 2 diabetes, it is not approved for any other reason. However, we're seeing a ton of doctors prescribing it for weight loss because um, weight loss is a side effect of this drug. So it's not what it was originally created for. I just want to like put that out there. It's uh, And we'll talk about like what it does and why it helps type 2 diabetes. But it's a weekly injection. That means like needle <laughs> but it is a big breakthrough because it is weekly where a lot of other things a lot of other interventions that we've developed in medicine are kind of like daily pills which this is different in that way and basically what it does is it helps you lower your blood sugar by helping your pancreas cr create more insulin so that helps type 2 diabetics in specific, not type 1, because this is taking insulin that you already have. And it slows down your digestion to make you feel full and or nauseous <laughs> for longer amounts of time. So general overview of what it does and how it was created, I think is very important. And that doesn't mean to negate anything else that it is being used for, because a lot of times in a clinical sense, 
we stumble upon things, stumble upon some seizure medication that can also treat depression. You know, we all, we stumble upon things within modern medicine that can serve in other purposes. And I am not someone who is against taking medication in many ways. That is, that's not how I'm coming at this, but I do want you to just know some of the side effects and then think about for you what health looks like in your life. And I think anytime you start any type of medication that is geared towards your health, whether it's health of treating diabetes or weight loss, anything, I think you need to come up with an idea of what health looks like for you and decide if the methods that you're putting in place are reflective of a healthy lifestyle. I really had to like full stop myself several times when I was researching this because my immediate knee-jerk reaction to weight loss drugs is to feel angry. So, and, and to feel that they are taking advantage of people, to feel that there is like a certain amount of fat phobia involved. Like there, there's, I have knee-jerk reactions that are negative. I had to full stop because I thought, I don't, this is like a weird comparison, but I thought of how like people might've felt at first when like ibuprofen came out and it was like, Hey, if you have a headache, like you could take this ibuprofen and it reduces inflammation and your headache will go away. And like, I don't want to be somebody who goes, well, ibuprofen, what, what's the negative effects? For the week. <laughs> I, like, you know what I mean? Like you need to find a natural way to get rid of that headache. Like it's, I, I just, I never want to be in the way of scientific breakthroughs that are helping people, right? Like we don't need to just say how we have it is perfect. And like, we don't need a single other drug. There are drugs out there developed that are saving people's lives. They're improving the quality of their life so much that life without it would seem impossible. So like, I never want to, and that's why I had to really full stop on this is like, yes, it's being used by Hollywood right now by, you know, very already thin celebrities to become thinner. And that gave me like a bad feeling and it like taste in my mouth. But that does not mean that this particular drug has no place as you said, clinically, if it has side effects of weight loss, like let's look at that. Let's look at if there are certain people that might benefit health-wise from this and, and let's keep an open mind because I really feel that there's no sense in holding back scientific progress on the, on the standpoint that you don't understand it. Like, Okay. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that I don't understand fully, but that's the point in listening to podcasts that are going to educate and help you navigate these things to make a decision if it's right for you. Yeah, absolutely. I do want to say I also had a very negative reaction. The first, some of the first things that I saw about it were like studies are showing that Ozempic, like it has found to increase weight gain after you stop taking it. Like some of these things I'm like, you don't say, I was like, so ready to be like, you don't say, and I'm not saying I flipped on the other end of that, but we are going to just kind of discuss it and see, you know, what you guys think. Yeah. So basically what Ozempic does is it mimics a hormone that you already have in your body, GLP-1, which 
helps your pancreas release insulin. So after you eat, you need to create insulin as a result of glucose, and that helps you to digest the food and get energy, draw from the calories, whatever. When your glucose levels rise, your body needs more insulin. And in type 2 diabetics, they do not have the amount of insulin to combat the glucose rise. And that is why Ozempic is a, it's a mimicker of that hormone. So it comes in and helps to release extra. It also interacts with your brain. So those two hunger hormones, ghrelin and leptin, like the ones, maybe you always call it the gremlin, the, the one that tells, tells, like, you you're sends, hungry. tells hunger, that sends your body signals that you're hungry. It reacts with your brain in the way that it suppresses the hunger signals. And it also slows the food going through your stomach and digestive tract. So it makes you, so, okay, your brain isn't telling you you're as hungry. Your body physically feels fuller and you're, you're sending out more insulin as a response to glucose, which all in turn together, those three things together is basically going to lead to weight loss. I think for obvious reasons, you're going to eat less, you're going to feel full longer and the calories that you do absorb are going to be absorbed better. So subsequently, you're going to lose weight. This is a side effect, right? Not what it's designed to do. Um, but there, of course, when we realized this, that semiglutides did this, then a weight loss version of this came out. But most people that are using this for weight loss are not using the approved one, which is Wegovy. They're using Ozempic because Ozempic is much more likely to be um, prescribed and or covered by your insurance because it, a lot of insurances do not consider like weight loss to be um, something that they will cover. Whereas if you can, if you take Ozempic, you can like kind of put it under the umbrella of if you have type two diabetes. So they do come with side effects, obviously the food being slowed in your stomach and intestines is obviously there are some definite side effects digestionally with constipation. Obviously, you would expect to be constipated because it's literally telling your body not to digest the food as fast. Nausea and vomiting, obviously food staying longer in your stomach might make you give you the sensation of nausea. Also, it's an appetite suppressant, which often people, <laughs> appetite suppressants make you feel nauseous so you don't want to eat. That's how they kind of that's how that. <laughs> so there are some definite, those are the more, those are the common side effects. Most people say they, they go, those go away, but it also has some more serious side effects. These are less common, uh, thyroid cancer, acute, acute pancreatitis, gallbladder disease, low blood sugar, obviously low blood sugar for the reason of too much insulin produced with not enough glucose, yeah, <laughs> kidney injury and uh, suicidal thoughts. Now, I mean, like, I didn't mean to just be the end of that commercial where it's like, and then you know, they really rushed through it <laughs> because those things are like, they, they're not common, but they are side effects and people should always be aware of all the side effects. But I think that we want to talk first about kind of like, is this the answer for people who are 
in a place where they are saying to themselves, I think I would be happier and healthier if I had, if I was carrying less fat. Is this the answer? We interrupt this podcast to tell you the biggest day of the year is coming. Biggest day of the year. (laughs) (laughs) We went two different vibes there. It's the best day of the year. I'm just so excited. Our group Friday started, I think, three years ago. And it is basically, um, you know, a whole thing for Black Friday for our group members. So we have sales, we have new drops, we have so many exciting things. It's going to be the best day of the year. Friday, November 3rd, be there for group Friday. Best sales we have all year new drops, fan favorite restocks. It's going to be freaking wild. So make sure you're there early to get all the things you want. Friday, November 3rd. I think that each person is going to need to answer that for themselves because, you know, the answer is always, it depends. And I think we need to, as you're thinking that my, the quality of my life will improve if this happens. I think that you need to ask why and look at the road there because why do you think that you need to, that your qual- the quality of your life will improve if you are carrying around less fat? And I really want to encourage everyone to think about what your views are on weight loss, larger bodies, smaller bodies. I want you to just like open up your mind to that for a minute and think about like, what, what am I trying to accomplish here and what is lacking in my life and how is this going to solve it? I mean, if that isn't the answer, if that isn't the question before every answer, I think that that's, um, I think it's a really good starting point. I want to talk about being prescribed weight loss drugs um, based on BMI for a second. (laughs) I have a really funny BMI story. Oh, go, oh, go, go, go. I I think everyone knows basically how I feel about the BMI and it is a, a strong, hard bullshit. Why are we still even using this as a metric and form of health? And my friend who he just went to regionals He's in the top 1% CrossFit in a sport. He's 25 years old. He carries a significant amount of muscle and he went to the doctors and he's just moved into the obese category because of his height and weight. He's, he's a larger man. He's, he's taller, but he's, you know, got thick and he was like, he has a visible six pack. He is extremely fit. He deadlifts over double his body weight. Like he back squats. He, you know, can run an under eight minute mile. Like he is a very fit human all around. And he moved into the obese category and he was like, uh, finally made it. Like it was a big joke because some of the fittest people on earth are in, are categorized because of the amount of muscle that they are maintaining on a daily basis, according to their height and weight ratio, are moving into an overweight or obese category. 
which is a raging joke. <laughs> it is such a thing, but I want you guys to understand that there is like a subset of us who like understand how big of a joke BMI is and literally make jokes about like reaching the pinnacle of your fitness and moving into <laughs> an overweight category because of muscle mass. It's so, it's like, there's some days that I laugh at it and some days that I just want to punch something, but because it does hurt. I, I get where you live in there because like some people like it genuinely does hurt. They go into the, into the doctor's office and they get that feedback and they don't have, they, they, they don't have the tools or, or the knowledge overall to know how much bullshit it is. And they take that as like, wow, this is a failure. On well, here's me. the thing. Most people are not in the 1% of fittest people on the planet. Okay. So they don't For have sure. that backdrop of looking in the mirror and saying, well, I have visible abs so I can tell that's bullshit. But, yeah. but here's, I know this is an outlier. But it's just an example of like how much bullshit it is. Because like, if that's the gauge, you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense on every scale, right? So that's what I'm trying to get at. It's like people hear that and they don't identify as like, oh, I don't have visible abs. I got like a donut belly and yeah. I, I'm not in the 1% of people. I'm like happy if I get like two workouts in a week. And it's like, okay, so, but don't think though that it's a different metric for him and you because that's not how science works. If we have a hypothesis and then we put in different subjects to test that hypothesis and even one of them comes out as grossly like that. Oh my God, that was way off. This person is obviously very physically fit and is categorized in overweight or obese category. Then we throw the whole thing out. That's how yeah, science works. That's what I mean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So we don't say, oh, well probably, probably for most people, except that person <laughs> and like that other one over there and like those three people, but like everybody else, probably this works for. Well, like if you're going to, if you're going to use it as a metric for health and fitness and you've identified some of these people being the healthiest that we can have to compare to in generalized society and they don't fit into your health and fitness category, the whole thing is a joke. That's what I mean is that like the whole, like if you can just like from an outside perspective, say like well, this person, well, they meet all the check marks for being healthy for living, healthy lifestyle. You know, I can, I can see that. I can see that in their lifestyle. I can see that in like, you know, their physical capabilities, yet they don't meet our metrics that we're using for health. Then like, we're not actually measuring health then. So the body mass index, if you've never heard of it, I can't believe you never heard of it at this point. If you haven't, good. But good, <laughs> but good. Stay ignorant because it's not a metric we use, but it is being used by healthcare providers in order to prescribe this drug. So that's where it becomes relevant in this conversation because people are being prescribed Ozempic or Wegovy if they meet a certain BMI. And that is calculated by dividing your weight by your height squared. And then you get like this number that means nothing because you could have visible abs and be categorized at a certain number and that doesn't work for the scale. But a BMI of over 30 is considered obese and that would put you into a category where you could be prescribed a weight loss drug. And yes, are there going to be outliers like your, your friend? 
Absolutely. Are there going to be people at a BMI over 30 that are facing significant health risks as a result of that? Yes. However, we need to, okay, if we're prescribing something, it's because we're treating a, a, a disease, right? We're treating an illness or we're treating a disease. Okay. So does one BMI equate to health and another one equate to illness? That's basically what the question we're asking here. If you can fall into a normal BMI range, but still have a host of health problems, does that not count? If you have high blood pressure, but you are in a normal BMI, do you not really have high blood pressure? Should we not treat it because you're like not technically like, so I'm, I'm kind of bringing forth the point of like, if a person has a disease that doctors believe is a result of obesity or carrying too much body fat on their body, then we need to treat that, right? But simply being at a BMI of 30 or over is not necessarily an indication of disease. If you don't have high blood pressure at a BMI of 30, we're not going to give you blood pressure medication. That wouldn't make any sense. When it's important to say when we talk about symptoms that you go into a doctor's office with and saying to a doctor like this is how i'm feeling and there is an in there is a problem in our healthcare system with doctors looking at larger bot people in larger bodies and saying this is because of your weight and not actually listening to symptoms and that's important in the conversation because i don't want you guys to think like well, my doctor said that this is going to solve all of the other things that I'm feeling. You know, I have abdominal pain and they're saying it's because I'm overweight. And it's just like, that's really important to have in the conversation because this is a problem. And doctors are prescribing weight loss drugs to solve problems that are not because of weight. Full stop. Play that back. Okay. And there have been numerous studies done on this and every single time it comes out the same way, which is, and I'm sure that people listening have their own personal stories about like, Hey, my toe hurts. And somebody saying, have you considered going on a diet, diet. for that? Like this is a real issue in healthcare. And so it is always best to go in with knowledge and a little bit of skepticism. Thank you. <laughs> My daily package has arrived. That was like perfectly timed. I saw him. He rings the doorbell every day. So um, I saw him. Okay, I'll just wait for him to ring it. But it really is important to have that skepticism and that knowledge just to go along. If you know that this is a thing, if you are a person in a larger body, or actually even if you're not, because there are so many things like you could have symptoms of high blood pressure and be in a smaller body and go in and nobody even bothers to test you for that. So it works both ways. You definitely need to be armed with knowledge. And I think that understanding the money flow is, is imperative as well. <laughs> because that's what gets all of the attention. Understanding the money flow, then you, then you understand the system a little bit better. And I don't even think it's possible to ever really understand the money flow because there are things that go on in pharmaceuticals that are so far beyond our reach. We would need an layman. entire season 
and then plus two years to to touch to scratch the surface of that. <laughs> so true. But just know as as you do that pharmaceuticals are for profit organizations. Okay. They work under the profitability mindset. And although a lot of these drugs that are coming out help people immensely live tremendously better quality lives, there is a for-profit organization behind that. That doesn't mean that they're bad or that they're like, you know, they're not here for you or that they're trying to give you things that you don't need, but it does help them when they have more sales. That's all. That's just a fact. So the maker of Ozempic has been shown historically to be pushing their drug as they, as all pharmaceuticals do. This isn't a new thing, but just to be aware, they have um, put $14 million into education and training of, on their product of Ozempic into <laughs> doctors. That's always a weird thing for me because paying for education and training for doctors surrounding your particular product is like, well, yeah, I mean, obviously if I could put, if I could have like all of the top fitness people in the world and put them all in my leggings and tell them exactly why my leggings are the best leggings that ever happened to the world and give them all kinds of education and training, they might leave thinking my leggings are the best in the world. And and they would be right in that case. And they leave with a bunch of leggings mm. and money and trips and um, <laughs> incentives. So, I mean, I'm not saying there is incentives in, in so many different markets, but when it comes to pharmaceuticals, you guys know. You guys know. Just this particular company has also... 14 been- million. that's a lot of millions (laughs) this company has also been in 2021 (laughs) one year one year they spent 14 million yeah it's not like over the lifetime of the drug it's just like one year of that they've also been suspended in the uk for pharmaceutical lobbying where they were sponsoring i'm putting that in quotes sponsoring a training program which was actually found out later to be a promotional campaign and that is illegal and it's it's not like the uk like just like sanctions people all the time like they've only done this eight times in the last 40 years to pharmaceuticals so you got to be pushing hard in order to be sanctioned for this and so that's a little bit it's just it's just knowledge it's just like it's well those i'm gonna be honest those are red flags for me that always will come up for me personally i will say like those are red flags why would you why do you need have you pushed this hard in this space to the point where you needed sanctions well, if we have learned anything from the epidemic that is now being largely uncovered with, you know, all of the pain medications and how the addictions and, and how those were pushed onto doctors and by, by pharmaceuticals, it's, it should give you pause when drug companies are sponsoring trainings when they are um, giving incentive programs to doctors to prescribe to these prescribe. things. Like, yeah. the, like the, we've seen the results of this and they were really, really harmful for some people. So it's just take note. If you don't fully understand what Rachel's referring to, 
when it came to pain medications and it, doctors financially benefiting from prescribing pain medications to patients that didn't necessarily need it. So highly addictive. Highly pain addictive pain medications to people who didn't necessarily need it. Now, I just want to insert the fact that weight loss in something in this way can definitely be highly addictive for a lot of people and for what they what they're seeing in their life. And if there's incentives behind that to get you on a medication that you don't necessarily need, I don't know. I don't know. Lastly, and on that note, I want to talk a little bit about the psychological effects of taking something like this. So first of all, as mentioned earlier, this is a for life necessity drug. This is not something that you cycle on and off because the, and this has been fully recognized by the pharmaceuticals and manufacturers. Like they like say this straight out. You need to take this for the rest of your life because once you go off of it, you will gain all the weight back probably and then some. That's that yo-yo mentality of what most diet, we, we always say this is 90% of diets fail. And what we, t- we, what we classify as fail is if you gain all of the weight lost back and most people and then some. So you have to be on this drug from now until you die in order to maintain the weight loss benefits. Is that realistic? Is that safe? Are you wanting to sign up for something that you have to take for the rest of your life? That's a pretty big commitment. I don't know that there's only been really one long-term study done on whether or not people will acclimate to this drug because obviously the human body is an incredible, incredible mechanism that if you give it this, the conditions for long enough, it will figure out a way around them. So the longest study that's been done on this was 68 weeks. And by the 68-week mark, a lot of patients had their weight loss had plateaued and started to climb again. We don't know if that is a suggestion that their body was acclimating to the drug, but we have some suspicion scientifically that you may need to continue to up the dose in order to see the same effects because your body will acclimate to that amount of insulin. I think it's important to note that any long-term studies on this type of drug are still in the TBD (laughs) range. And they will be for a while. Because it hasn't been available that long and hasn't been available to a, a wide range of people. And obviously, you need to see over time through the course of someone's life the effects of these types of things. When it comes to committing to or committing to thinking you're going to commit to something that is going to be something you'll need to maintain for the rest of your life, I'm sure any person who is thinking about taking a drug that is that type of commitment is thinking about what that looks like and what that feels like. Some aren't actually because you're just, (laughs) you're in there and you're like, this needs to be fixed right now. Like, what do I do? My doctor's saying this is good, this is safe. But when you do think about that and what your life is going to look like and how this fits into your life, I'm not saying right or wrong. You are in your life. You are in your body. You know the circumstances that you are currently in, what your health looks like and what type of intervention you need. Because if you're considering something like this, you're looking for some type of intervention, right? What type of intervention you need and where you want to place kind of the power for that intervention over a long period of time. 
that's just something to consider. Just know this. We don't have long-term studies on this drug, but we do have long-term studies on seesawing weight and yo-yoing weight. Weight cycling is extremely bad for your health. It's very um, difficult on your body. And studies have actually shown that yo-yoing your diet is actually more dangerous to your health than just maintaining a higher body weight throughout the same, like just maintaining that same, that higher body weight rather than going from down to up to down to more up to way down to that has been risk that's been linked to risks of diabetes, cardiovascular disease. I saw a study in which yo-yoing brought a, a higher chance of death by 40% premature death for people. Whereas simply maintaining a higher body weight was <laughs> the risks are not there in those amounts. So I just want to think when we're thinking about being on something forever, thinking about the realistic view of that. If you think, well, well, probably not, or maybe not, then this is likely another yo-yo kind of seesaw weight cycling event in your life. And the harm that those are having on you, both psychologically and physically, we got to weigh the benefits versus the negatives. Yeah. Well, well, that begs the question as to why you're starting, right? Why you're starting, why you're looking for this type of intervention. And it, for me, it brings up, are you looking, are you, are you in a place where you have significant health concerns because of your body weight, because of the body fat percentage that you are currently at? Are you at risk or do you have significant health concerns because of that? Or are you living in a body where you wish would weigh less? You wish it would carry less body fat, regardless of where your body feels comfortable and like it's working its best and how it feels its best. And because that's not at its lowest. And I guess I just really, I really like to drive that point home because a lot of people think like, but if I'm at a smaller body, I'll be healthier. And that's not true. That's just not true. That's so individualized. And if we're constantly trying to get our bodies to just be at a lower body fat percentage because we want it to, and that's not actually where your body feels comfortable and confident and likes to live, then what are we doing? We're not actually talking about health anymore. We're talking about just society. Yeah. Yeah. We're just talking Society's about society's view. Norm. Yeah. Of like what would look healthy? What would, what would fit more into like where I would feel like I would look healthier regardless of what you actually feel. So you want to take an, have an intake of what health looks like for you and what you're currently doing, how you currently feel healthy in your body. Because so many people lose a significant amount of weight. And you can see this with not just weight loss drugs, but weight loss surgery and what the body goes through when after some of those weight loss surgeries where people's hair is falling out and are we looking at health anymore? Like, are we looking at just getting to a lower body fat percentage or a lower body weight at, at any, at any cost? 
Well, you know, that goes back to the question of like, where are we at for our starting point? Do we have notable disease that could be solved by lessening our body fat percentage? Is that a, a factor that is like inhibiting our life and diseasing our body and making us ill? Because if so, then there are certain things that we need to maybe sacrifice, I guess is the word, to have bigger benefits. But like you said, that's going to be an individualized question that everybody needs to ask themselves. And I think that one of the hardest things about watching this weight loss drug get popular through Hollywood is that it's clear that that's not the case for those people. It's clear that it is purely aesthetic and it's sort of, um, I don't want to say like cheapens it, but like it, it sort of, it, it wrecks it for people that could have notable health benefits from this. When we just see like smaller body people taking it to be thinner and it's just like, <laughs> In it normalize it. It, it, it continues yeah, to normalize mm -hmm. this idea of like at get thinner at every cost. Mm -hmm. And it puts it in some of our minds where we're sitting at a, a fairly comfortable body weight in a body fat percentage for your individual body. But you're saying like, but no, I should be smaller. And I know so many people who are sitting at a fairly comfortable body fat percentage for them have been told societally that it needs to be less. And then they look in the mirror, they see that they reinforce it and they say like, well, I can't seem to get there. So I'm going to need to take something else to get there. When it's like, when act in reality, reevaluating what the goal is there and what that looks like is actually what we need to be doing. And I, I did want to talk about the psychological effects because that kind of like leads right into it of how we are viewing ourselves and how we're viewing our habits that have led to weight gain or higher body fat percentage or our perception of our bodies. And None of these drugs are going to treat that. We're not taught, we're, this isn't here to treat any mental health conditions. This isn't here to treat anorexia or any of the trauma that has come along with or how you've, how you've used food or caring for your body as a response to trauma or as a coping mechanism. And anytime we start to talk about our body weight, how we're treating our body, how we view our body, how we want to change our body. It's really important to think about what are your coping mechanisms that have reinforced how you treat your body, how you think about your body and what type of trauma has, have you experienced in your life that you've needed to develop some of these coping mechanisms and are we addressing them? Oh man, that's so true. Like Man, that's that's the epitome of treating the symptom and not the source. You know, it's just there is so much about food that carries so much trauma for people. There is so much associated with food. There is trauma that has nothing to do with food that manifests itself in eating habits. Eat disordered thoughts around food, I would say, is one of the most common mental health issues facing the entire country right now, and most prevalently in women. And 
these drugs are not treating the mental health that is associated with any of that. So although there may be some weight loss side effects, if the trauma that is originating at the source of all of this is not treated, I don't know, then you're just, you're you, you're the same you in a smaller body. And I'm going to tell you that from experience that that isn't any better. (laughs) It's just, it just looks different. It just looks different. It doesn't, it doesn't have any indication on the quality of your relationships and the health of your, your mental well-being. Like all of this boils down to the actual problem, which in many cases is not the fat. It's not, it's, and it's such a hard, it's such a hard thing to address because it's not a, as simple as take this. And it's not even as simple as, um, it's not even, it's definitely not as simple as eat less, go to the gym. It's not that simple. And this is a health and fitness podcast where you really want us to say, eat less and work out more. And it's just not going to happen. It's never going to, it's never going to happen from us because there's so much more to uncover and to talk about when it comes to your body image, when it comes to food, your relationship with food, your relationship with yourself, the life you feel you deserve, how you think you deserve to feel in your body, and the conversations around how do I feel when I eat this type of thing? And am I looking to reinforce behavior that has felt comfortable for me in the past, regardless of if it's healthy for me or not. It's comfortable. And even if it's shame, even if it's regret, those are comfortable feelings for me. I don't think people understand that that so much of trauma has to do with seeking out like behaviors and emotions that we don't want. Familiar, yeah. (laughs) That we don't want, but they are familiar to us because they've been familiar to us either at a young age or we've, we've developed them over time. And you can see this, we talk that we talk about this or, you know, society talks about this fairly openly in relationships where people continuously go into abusive relationships because they're familiar to them. So they're looking for a type of love that feels familiar to them. Even if it's not love, it feels like love because it's the only thing that they've been able to associate with that. And the same thing goes for body and your, your food and in all of the feelings surrounding all of this is like, you're looking for familiar feelings because familiar, familiar, familiarity is comfort for a lot of us. Even if what's it's familiar is shame. Yeah. Even if what's familiar is regret, like those feelings are familiar to us. So we continuously seek those out and repeat behaviors that will get the same result that we're familiar with. And in order to change any of that, we need to get uncomfortable, which is the last thing everyone wants to do. But it's ultimately getting uncomfortable and recognizing that we need to treat the source and not the symptom. So recognizing that a lot of our feelings and behaviors and a lot of the way that we you know, have, have manifested, well, what's wrong is my body weight. What's wrong is my body fat. And it's like, is, is that what's wrong? Or is it the way that you feel about your body or the way you feel in your body because of some of the things that some of the behaviors, the habits that you've developed 
and how you treat your body on a daily basis. Do you believe genuinely that you deserve to live in a healthy body? It's interesting that the more comfortable road would be taking a weekly shot. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. if you like talk to people about like their fears and stuff, people with needles very high typically. And, um, but, uh, it's way better than shame. I'll take needles over shame any day. <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing is it's, it's really the amount of uncomfortable we're willing to be to not uncover these things. It, it really says something about the complexities of, human behavior, about the complexities of the brain, about like just that there are so many more things in play than go to the gym and eat less. Like it's just, that's the stupidest answer I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) And, um, and ultimately I just think options and knowledge is the goal. I didn't, I didn't want to come on here to bash Ozempic or anyone who ever takes it because the fact is, is that medically, if we continue to advance, we can help people live better lives. But we just need to be able to tell the difference between healing and treating a disease and fat phobia, because those are two different things. If we are treating and healing illness and disease, then we are on the right track. If we are attempting to fit in societal norms or use a blueprint of what health looks like, and use it as only a smaller body, you know, that's, that's just where we need to, where we need to pause. And each person needs to think about what it means for them and choose their road. Yeah. Ultimately you have the power. Ultimately, you know what your life looks like. You're asking these questions and you're the only one that can answer them. We'll help talk it through with you guys, but you're the only one that can really answer all of these questions. You're all the only one who knows what your trauma looks like. You're the only one who knows what your health looks like, what health looks like for you, how you've defined it and how you're going to get there. And um, hopefully we've answered some of that today. It definitely was not a, I don't feel it was a one-sided take this, don't take this. That's not where you're going to hear from us because you decide. Because, and most importantly of all, We trust you to decide. You are the boss of your own body. You are trusted 100% by us. And when you are armed with knowledge, you are able to make the best decision and we trust whatever that is. So you trust you too. We love you. Thank you so much for listening to the Thick Thighs Save Lives podcast. If you'd like to join our movement, get in our free app, CVG Nation, available in your app store. We have an amazing community of women, coaches to help you with your movements, challenges, and we give away leggings daily in there. Rachel and I are in there every day, so it's a perfect place to get in touch with us. This podcast is made possible by Constantly Varied Gear, so be sure to check out ConstantlyVariedGear.com. Have an amazing week. Crush your goals.